Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Took it for granted, right? Remember my first wedding I ever did, I was so nervous. I did this, this is not in my notes, so I'm just going off script here, but, oh, they already started the clock on me too. Hey, you can't start the clock yet. I was so nervous, and I was doing this in the front yard of a home, and they actually had a boom box sitting in the living room window that blared the music, the wedding music out. Yeah, one of those weddings. I was so nervous that the bride came down, I said the words of welcome, he gave her away, and I just totally forgot to tell everybody they could be seated. So like halfway through the wedding, that's how like nervous I am with my notes, and like the father of the bride kind of peeks around and says, hey, can we sit down now? So uh, sometimes you take things for granted. I can tell you what, I, I, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things going on and a lot of new things that social media has brought into our world. But I tell you what, I, I really look forward to just about every day uh, seeing something on social media that's uh, a meme. How many of you like memes? It's pretty cool how we can create these now and, um, and send them out and we can share them back and forth. And um, man, I just really, I, I had a meme. My notes aren't loading. It's going to ruin the whole thing here. All right, what happened? It's loading my sermon. Nope, still running. Which some of you guys can just relax. I was in within my time, first service, so. Well, let's just skip that. You just have to see the, ask me about the meme later, but Yeah. Peaceful manger scene or two T-Rexes fighting over a table saw? (laughs) Do you see it? Can you not unsee it now? (laughs) It's the way I am. I've lost total sight of the nativity. Yeah, I just love that stuff. I had to share that this morning. But You know, this week I came home from a dinner on Tuesday Heard some chatter and realized that um, Tuesday night was the finale of The Voice. And i got to be honest, in the 20 seasons that The Voice has been on, I've probably watched half of an episode. Just not kind of my thing, right? You've never heard me, you've never heard me sing, or you've heard me sing, you know why it's not my thing. But, um, but I had been attracted to it because girl named Tom, right? Pettysville, Ohio, talked to people who knew him, actually had heard they were going to perform, watched the first week. Thought, wow, these people are amazing. Then didn't watch, but then realized they're in the finale. So we get home, we turn it on, and I sit there and watch it. And my family's with me, and we're just watching a girl named Tom and all the other contestants in that finale. And if you watched it, there was a, just a lot of a lot of artists and music and songs. And got up the next day, and um, kind of our routine. Nicole takes, um, uh, which I might want to, around our home we call Nicole, Cole. And people are like, who are you talking about when you say Cole? Like, that's just what we call her, Cole. Cole takes um, 
Colby and Sayla to the elementary. I take uh, one kid right now to the uh, high, junior high because there's this tradition in Napoleon, freshman basketball is six in the morning. Like, you know, the kids that don't drive, make them practice at six in the morning. The high school kids, man, they can come at, you know, like, anyway, that's a whole nother story. You can tell I'm a little, like, tired because it's the whole family or, you know, at least the mom or, mom or dad has to get up. But um, that's a sideline. Um, my clock's running. Uh, on the way to school with Sage. Sage and I always have these few moments. I try to make her laugh, try to just get her in a good mood frame for school. But we got in the car, and she looked at me, and she was like, you know, Dad, that, that show last night, why were, why were all the songs about love? Why were they all about love? thought, ah, I'm glad you asked that. That's what I'm talking about this week. This is just this innate human need to love and be loved. A world is headlong in a pursuit of wanting to know what it is to love and be loved. And our music always, the culture, our music of our culture always kind of highlights the themes of our culture. And we're just singing about desperately wanting to experience love. I remember, uh, uh, this dates me in the 90s, there was a country song, I think it was Martina McBride, that uh, sang, love is the only house big enough for all the pain in the world. You recognize that song? Kathy Hoover listened to the 90s country. Yeah, love's the only house big enough. Okay, I'll stop. Like our world knows, wants, desires love. I, I tell you what's interesting though about us personally, our context is we don't have a very good working definition of love. Because we use it like, I love my wife. And two sentences later, I love tacos. Right? Like, what is going on? We kind of hollowed the word out a little bit because I love my sports teams. And in the same breath, I can say, but I love Jesus. How does that work? Like, it's just like it seems like what love is has been hollowed out because we just don't do a very good, especially in the English language, of, of separating. And so we can love things, but we don't really grasp. We love tacos and Jesus and sports and movies. and You know, you can tell a lot about a culture by the words they use around a given thing. Like, for instance, the Philippines, in the Philippines, in their language, they have a lot of words that are associated with rice, okay? Because guess what? In the Philippines, rice is a huge, it's what their whole culture revolves around. It's not just what they eat, it's what they farm. It's then what they sell. It's how their economy like really is propelled is rice. And so, man, they have all sorts of words for rice, 
like you can, there's variations all over the place, and it's what their culture revolves around. I, I realized this week I heard somebody talking about this that, do you know in our culture, there's like 400 or more euphemism or words for sex? 400! Like, it's almost a little crazy now, like, even as a preacher, I don't know if I'm going to say some phrase that everybody in the crowd is going to be like, he doesn't know what that means now. But, but wouldn't you say our, our culture's sex crazed, right? Like, it sells cars, it sells movies, it sells, like, man, guess what? We have all sorts of variations of how to talk about sex. And that's what cultures do. What's amazing, though, is we just still have one Word for love. We don't know what to do with it. It's like, oh. Now, the scriptures use different words for love. And in ancient times, they they attempted to define love. And I think they did a good job in helping us grab a hold of words for love. I I mean, oh, great. I'm not getting anything here. Um, Guys in the back, you're going to have to work with me here. There's Greek words for love. There's, there's the word storge that's familial, that's kinship. It's I know love, I associate love, I experience love in the context of my family. When you say love, I think of my family. Right? There's eros which is romantic or sexual love. I associate love with being in a relationship with my wife in a romantic situation. Our world is, they, they get this, right? Falling in love is huge pursuit. I think it's interesting. I read an article one time about someone who... Uh, would say that like in the celebrity culture, it's about 18 months that infatuation lasts. Is that true, married people? I don't know. Like 18 month cycle, and you can always tell that couples, celebrity couples will get infatuated with each other for 18 months and then it kind of wears off and then they're on to the next one. Like there's this, this desire to experience this kind of love that does exist. It's eros love. There's also the philia, or the friendship, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, right? This, I associate love with the friends, the community, the group that I'm a part of. And when we use these words, love, I love you, um, when a child hears them, it, it, it means I'm safe, I'm valuable, I matter, that that storge kind of familial love. When you're dating someone and you hear them say, I love you, it means we're moving to a new level of commitment, exclusivity in a relationship. When a friend hears them, it means I'm here for you. I got your back. It's a statement of loyalty and resolve. I mean, for me, like as a parent now, to hear my kids tell me, I love, they love me, it just brings so much joy and it's this, I appreciate you. Here's the thing I want you to grab a hold of. Because, unfortunately, our world thinks that love, the pinnacle, is family. 
or marriage or friendship. And we run headlong after those things. We make them, think about all the time, resources, energy, how you prioritize your life around those things to experience love in those contexts. And there's no doubt that the common grace of God that's been given to all mankind, he has gifted us with these kinds of uh, ways to experience love. But I would tell you that these loves are but a shadow and they're not the form of love. They're but shadows. I have a close family. My family gets together, we do things. I love my family, but I can tell you that my family, as much as I love them, does not meet this deep, deep longing that I have in my heart. As much as I love my wife, And this partnership, this companionship that started um, 18 years ago. 18. I mean, it still does not meet the deepest longing of my heart. A great community of friends, college buddies. And yet, I can spend time with them. I can have all the fun in the world. I can connect at a level where I'm known and, and knowing and known. And, and yet, it's just a shadow of what I was designed to experience. They are but shadows of what the scriptures tell us. They are meant to give a taste of something greater. They are meant to draw us into something that's a more firm foundation. And obviously, if you look around you, you see our world headlong in pursuit. That's why we sing songs in our culture about just finding the right person, getting in the right relationship. If I can just experience that love, it'll make everything right. And then it doesn't. And so we have to Look for another one, right? It's just this unending cycle because those things were never meant to completely satisfy the heart. And so we go around singing things like, never gonna give you up or let you down. Never gonna run around or desert you. Never gonna make you cry. Come on. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie. And certainly never going to hurt you. And we realize it's all just a bunch of baloney. This is what we do. If we make that the center of who we are. We realize we can't carry on with this. And so what I want to just hopefully help you settle on today. As we walk through the Christmas season. Is what John Reminds us of 1 John chapter 4. This is what he says in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And what I want you to understand is as he begins to write and use the word love. He's using a word that is not family, romantic, friendship, love. 
he's starting to use a word that honestly didn't exist before they wrote the scriptures. It's a new word. You, you know what it is. You've been around the church long enough probably. This word agape. It's like, okay, there is a new love that we need to consider. In fact, it is a love that is called from God or the love of God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I just want to, love is not what God does. It's who God is. Can you just, I'm going to get quiet for a minute. Love is not what God does. It is who God is. Maybe you just need to think about that this week. We often, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, we think of God doing things toward us. and No, God is just love. He just is love. That is significant. When we begin to grasp that when we are connected to love, it is not something he's choosing to do or not do with us. It's just who he is. Every time you connect with God, pray to God, hear from God, sense God, think about God, it is love. That is who he is. God is love. This is just what he says. This is how God shows his love among us. Christmas story. He sends his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I have a simple outline for you today. It's just simply this. It's the birth of Christ shows us love. You see, all those things, those common grace loves that we've experienced and their gifts from God that we desire and want to have, they are shadows of a greater reality. That is the agape love of God. That God, who is love, acts toward us by moving into our world and becoming one of us. Love incarnate is what we sing. Love himself came down and became a man. And as he becomes a baby and then a man, we can't help but begin to understand what love is now. It's beyond my family and my relationships, my marriage and my community and all these things. It is that is love. And it's the birth of Christ that shows us love. Think about the wonder of him coming as a baby, the humility of it. I'm just consistently drawn into this, this, um, this story every year, the details, how, how everything is so uniquely designed for one purpose. It's to communicate to you and I how vast God's love, how deep God's love is for us. He comes and, and lives and is born in Bethlehem in a stable, in a feeding trough to 
peasant parents. He grows up in a nothing, nowhere, out of place. Can anything come good? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth town? All of these settings that he creates are for one reason, to real, for us to grab a hold of that God loves all of humanity. God humbles himself to the lowest basis place of humanity to proclaim to us just how much he wants to identify with all of us. It wasn't Rome, it wasn't Jerusalem, it wasn't a silver spoon, it wasn't come as an adult, it was a baby who needs to be fed and nurtured and have his butt wiped and all of this stuff. That's so humbling because he is showing us, just screaming to us, this is how much God loves you. He identifies with you completely. Even what it is to know what it is to nurse from his mother. And to have to be guided and protected by his parents. The birth of Christ shows us love. I mean, wow. Agape love. I am going to become one of but I notice this verse continues to go on and it says that this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. This is such an important phrase. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The birth of Christ shows us love. The death of Christ shows us how love acts. It's Romans chapter eight, verse, or Romans chapter five, verse eight that says this. But God demonstrates His love for us in this: while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us, He's revealing what love is. In his becoming a man, incarnating himself, identifying, putting away everything in heaven to become like us. But then he begins, the death of Christ shows us how love acts as he walks toward his purpose on earth. And that's to die for our sins and be raised in glory. But I want you to catch those phrases. Not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. All through the scriptures, God has been mentioned in this idea of his love is said, it's steadfast, it's covenantal, it's unwavering, it's undeserved. And in Christ Jesus, we see this completely, fully manifested to us. That Christ, while we were yet sinners, while we didn't deserve it, while we had no merit, while we couldn't do anything to earn it, Christ has already decided to love us regardless. Regardless. 
And in that love, he gives himself and his life for us. What I want you to just drink in deeply today is that, just a couple phrases. There is nothing that you can do today that will make God love you more. You realize that? You want to pray six hours today? You want to give half your income today? Great. God is not going to love you more than he already does. There is nothing that you can do today that will make God love you less. See, you know how I'm wired. The whole love you more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, love me less? Oh, yeah. Oh, I think he could love me less. I, I know who I was. I know how I'm wired. I know, how, right? I know how I have to learn the same lessons and why am I not this and why have you failed here and do you remember what you did to those people in your past? Oh, yeah. You can tell me he's not going to love me more. Big deal, he loves me, but... I believe he could love me less. But you see, the nature of agape love is that God loves you. Not more or less. He loves you completely. Right now. Do you believe that? I gotta be honest. A lot of my life, I grew up, my dad was a pastor. I gotta be honest, the biggest struggle of my life is to believe this. It's to believe that my performance. does not determine how God feels about me. See, I, I, I make God like me. We make God like ourselves. I, I mean, parenting is the greatest job in the world to even kind of understand a little bit of God. And I'm going to be honest, and I know you are the same way. <clears throat> I love my kids. Sometimes I don't like them. You know what I mean. And I make God like me. And my father is good as he was and much as he loved me he was flawed and there were times growing up I felt conditional love he didn't mean to he loves me but that's what we do as humans we can't help it sometimes with our spouses when things are going good there's more when things are crossed up then there's conditions right that's not God 
How many of you make the same mistake, maybe fall to a sin, and you're ashamed, embarrassed, defeated, and you begin to take this mindset, God's kind of like this. That's not God. That's not the love of God. When we choose to pursue other things beside him, we lose in our own lives the quality of life God has for us. We suffer, don't we? Yeah. But God's disposition toward us doesn't change. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? God loves you. He's not going to change Him loving you. Dwell in that. The cross is God's exclamation point that not only did He show us love by incarnating Himself, but He shows us how love acts and love acts with an unconditional disposition of love. Arms always open, always inviting Never stiff-arming. I'll tell you what this does. It should cause us... I have this little slide. When we live in God's love, it, it, it absolutely begins to swallow up our insecurities. If you were to be honest, how much of your life has been wrapped up in fighting your insecurities, trying to rise above your insecurities, struggling with your insecurities? It's... it's, it's affected our relationships, our mental health, our outlook, our, our pursuits of like, people try to become different things because of insecurities. You realize that? Like if I could just become the president of the corporation, I'd feel better about myself because I have a deep-seated insecurity that I've had since I was five years old, that I'm not valuable or I'm not capable. All, you get that, right? Some of you today could look at me and say, yeah, that's my life. I'm telling you, living in God's love swallows up insecurities. It stops me from living in comparisons. Oh, man. I wish I'd have known this. Most of my 20s were lived comparing myself. I mean, the scriptures clearly say, those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. I chose to ignore that in my 20s. And I just caused a whole bunch of crap. Can I say that word? Junk, whatever is appropriate for you, in my heart, in my mind, in my quality of life because it was a comparison trap and gain. Instead of just dwelling deeply in the love of who I was as God's child. I don't need to compare myself. quiets the drivenness in my life. It removes unbelievable fears. Now, you drop a rattlesnake right here, I'm hitting the door. I mean, the Bible says that Paul was scared of a snake, so there's reasonable fear, right? Until we get to heaven and that snake, whatever, I can like, I'm still not touching it in heaven. It's just gross. Until then, that's a reasonable fear. 
unreasonable fears of God's going to forsake me. He doesn't know where I'm at. He won't take care of me. He doesn't, he doesn't have a plan for my life. Those are unreasonable fears. Perfect love casts out. Dwelling in his love casts out fear of an uncertain future, of a present, that all those things, as God's child, dearly loved by him, I don't live captivated by unreasonable fears. The birth of Christ shows his love. The death of Christ shows how love acts. I have to read these verses. I know I'm bumping up a little bit here, but Romans chapter 8, verse 38. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's why Paul prayed this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul is praying, listen, my earnest desire, the place that you need to just live and dwell and rest and relax in is just trying to comprehend how vast God's love is for you. That when you begin to jump into that ocean, everything else takes its perspective. And you begin to realize who you are and whose you are. And now your life can be lived out of this deep-seated confidence and certainty. That as God's child, he has me, he'll take care of me, he will equip me, he will strengthen me, empower me, guide me, and direct me. That's who I am as his child. He will take care of me. And it's the cross of Jesus Christ that tells you the steadfast love of God is yours. It's yours. The third thing is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ shows us that love can be experienced. As he shows us how it acts in giving himself, he raises to glory. And in Romans chapter 5, it says that as he is alive, that he has now given us his Holy Spirit because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You know, the season is full of stories about transformation. Um, Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. Had a life change, right? The end of his heart was changed. I'm sure you'll watch The Grinch and how his heart it is enlarged three times. It's like this season desperately wants us to, to just be better. A wonderful life. How hope is restored and his whole life is turned around, right? He sees. I would tell you, though, that the most transforming thing that could ever happen to you and I 
is to deeply drink from the reality that this season is all about the simple phrase, God loves you. And in that love, it means everything. And my prayer is, on this Sunday, as it's Christmas week, that actually you and I would just comprehend that the full life of Christ is just encapsulated in one word, love. For you. For me. And that's why on this Sunday before Christmas, we actually allow ourselves to just sit in and think about and partake of the elements of Christ's death as his steadfast love is secured for us in the cross. And I hope that the season comes and passes and you have moved a little bit closer to him. And being able to do what Paul said, to grasp the height, depth, the width, the length of God's love. To experience this love that passes all knowledge agape love of God. As you realize that this season was so I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to take communion together. I'm going to invite you as they begin to sing just to come up and take the element and go back to your seat. We'll take it together. But our hope this Sunday is he shows us love and he shows us how it acts and he gives us a chance to experience it through his Holy Spirit and there's nothing better to think about the love of God than his broken body and his shed blood my prayer is that this Sunday it would impact you in a way that you would not be able to get away from the fact of how much God loves you. As you open gifts, as you go to parties, there's still just this little thing in the back of your head that says, you know what, this is all great and I enjoy it. Family love, friendship love, marriage love, it's all great, but it all is completed by one thing, the agape love of Jesus Christ. That's the center. That's what actually makes all those other loves meaningful and begin to fulfill me. What better way than to think about his love given to us on the cross? Would you come take the elements as we think about him today? Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, Find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.